Hey, hey, folks, Dave here. Andrew. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we will be starting our first bonus episode, Uncharted Territory. Mm. To boldly go, where no podcasters have gone before. Except I'm sure there's another podcast, but for us, for our podcast. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But, uh, so, I guess we should start how we always start and talk about the weather. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think it's appropriate because uh, it has been a few months since our last recording. Um, uh, you know, our, our fans are probably missing us, so we got to give the people what they want. Yes, weather. So we're dealing with gale force winds uh, uh, that are peaking at about maybe, hopefully, 110 today and not more. Um, that's, that's 110 kilometers. kilometers. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to help us. 110 kilometers per hour. And I'm going to look up how many knots that is because I don't know that stuff. One second. 110 kph and then that's equals knots. Question mark. <laughs> there you go. Uh, 59.395. So 59.4 knots. That's intense. That's I'm a lot. not knowing what knots are. I'm uh, I'm just kind of smiling and nodding. I know it has to do with uh, nautical things, but well, this is the wind knots, so it's not the nautical knots. This is the air air knots. Oh, so the air knots. <laughs> there, there is more knots. <laughs> I don't know which knots. I don't know how land like land versus sea knots. I don't know. There's some sort of knot difference. And, and in space, they're astronauts. Yes, yes, astronauts. That is, oh, okay, that's a pun that needs to actually probably end up in a joke book somewhere. How, how do you measure wind in space? Needs some workshopping. Yeah, always, always workshopping. But um, along with the wind, yeah, uh, my mum was saying something like, you know, it's a month's worth of rain in 24 hours. Ugh. Well, isn't that normal now? Sorry. This year, yes. This year has, we've, we've had like a tropical-esque storm every month or two. Or at least just crazy rain. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, and I know we've got other weather extremes around the world. Mm. <sighs> oh, this, this, this episode, you'll be able to tell from the title, we're recording this in late July 2022. So, yeah, yeah. smack dab in the summer for the Northern Hemisphere. And it, it sounds like it sucks a lot over around the world, just... Going yeah, by, extreme you know. heat, extreme mm -hmm. heat, uh, and I, I'm sure that will also come with its own other extreme things like storms and electrical issues, and it's 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 a bit intense. I mean, around the world we're having a lot of intensity, but yes. Sorry, I'm just opening my reading insights because for today's episode, we are going to be discussing books that we have been reading. Yeah, you know, sometimes we we would um, do this before we read a chapter of a book and. Um, when we took our hiatus, you know, deciding to record an entire book before we released them to the public, we talked about doing bonus episodes. Maybe we do them on a particular book. And, and we did try that, actually. Um, I recommended maybe we read something lighthearted. Um, 
I recommended Good Omens, which after I read it, I'm like, well, this is a book about the apocalypse. So maybe it's not as lighthearted Seems- as I was thinking. But um, <laughs> Yeah, it has its own issues, doesn't it? <laughs> but we... Um, we we didn't really get together to record that one. And then eventually I just no. thought, you know what? Maybe after every we're finished with every book, we can just do an episode where you, we discuss what we've been reading. Because, you know, yeah. the reason we do this podcast is this is uh, a pastime we both enjoy. So we read a lot in our in our lives. I try to read every night before bed. And if the book's very good, I read during the day as well. Um, yeah. I, I, I think my reading insights are going to scare, not scare, but like, I mean, look, yeah, that you'll see what I mean when I get to it. Well, you, you've um, discussed on the podcast um, before that you read what you refer to as a lot of trash to kind of what? decompress. It, it, I, I, I don't want to be cruel to the, okay. This is, it's mean to the authors. It's disparaging. Um, I read a lot of, look, it's not, it's not Dostoevsky. That's, that's what it is. It's not Dostoevsky. Like, that's not what I'm reading for leisurely fun because in my study time, I read things that are very dense. And so in my, for research, cause I have to read very, very dense. I've, I've raised this before that I tend to try and balance it with something that's lighthearted where I don't have to, uh, where it, it, it explores like emotions and tensions and challenges and stuff, but it's nothing that's going to be nothing, not, not dense. It's not, uh, it's not like black oh. bread. If anyone's ever seen black bread or pumpernickel and that's like really d- dense kind of bread, that's what I consider literature that's like, say, um, uh, you know, war and peace. You, like, you, pr- you prefer what they call like the holiday or the beach read. Though. Actually, no. Beach reads annoy me a little bit. Um, it's more I'll read young adult fiction, or I'll read uh, a fantasy series, or I'll just read something that is. This is my uh, switch off reading. If I need to stimulate my mind, then I might read something a little bit more more dense. So maybe a rye bread equivalent of bread of of reading. Um, I know I'm using bread, but it's working as an analogy for my head. This is like eating white bread. This is this is you know the white toast that uh, cr- allows us to create the Australian uh, haute cuisine uh, of fairy bread. Like this so, is fairy bread. So, if if you were reading a book that was particularly witty, would you call it rye? I yeah. Well, actually, look, that's where I'd say say Jane Austen. Jane Austen would be a more dense rye bread, for example. Yeah, it's a sourdough rye with maybe some some grains a bit more robust, stone milled. We had we had a message earlier this year. Um, a listener wanted to know how your sourdough cultures were coming on because at the start of the pandemic, you talked about uh, starting a uh, sourdough starter. Yes, I, I, and I did, and and it was consumed. They were consumed. They. They, yes. Um, well, look, they're the yeasty boys, and and yeast reproduces asexually, so they. Um, uh, so yes, that was that was uh, it. At some stage, we we um, kind of the yeasty boys didn't like their conditions, and they decided to strike and not grow properly. And we're like, oh, fine. We also had a flower shortage um, at some stage, and that that was a problem because I ran out of food for the yeasty boys. I know. You starved them. I didn't. The, the, the flower shortage did. And all the flour that was available was like, you know, pre-mixed and had 
salt in it and i was like no that's gonna that's gonna kill them nastily so i we, we sacrificed them for the last loaf um but we that it's it's easy to create and i'm planning on doing it again i'm planning also on on uh, doing it as a bit of a science experiment with um some friends and we're thinking of seeing if we can capture a culture or create a culture that we can get named after us who doesn't want a yeast named after them um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most people probably, but you know, so. now, now, children, eat your ruse. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but, yeah. It'll be a rue that helps. Uh, it'll be a rye rue. I don't know. Um, there are many things that can happen. But but yes, I generally read things that are probably lighter reads, flightier reads. Um, however, not necessarily short. Some are. So some are like you know two hundred pages and that's fine. That's you know it's not it's not heavy reading, and then others are not. Others are like eight hundred pages or or whatnot. And but, but, I discovered uh, something. Oh yeah. I look so I, I I'm looking at the Kindle Unlimited side of things mm-hmm. mostly because free like free ish, cheapish access to books. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. So 2022, I decided I'm going to set myself the goal of reading at least two hundred books. Wow. At least. It is July. I've read 145 books. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so I think I'm going to reach my t- my thing. And usually it's my stress relief. So the more I'm mm-hmm. stressed about other yeah. things that I have to get done, this is my... Some people stress eat, you're a stress reader. Pretty much. Um, that's become my new coping strategy. And it's funny because I can see it directly in the weeks that I've been reading more. I'm like, oh, that's the week I had that thing due. Okay, yes. <laughs> it's my procrastinating uh, coping tool. Oh, but um, mind you, I kind of wish I uh, procrastinated with my books rather than just, you know, YouTube, Reddit, Twitter, all that jazz. Oh, I mean, I, I do that too. Um, but my Twitter has now become more channeled because of um, some additional responsibility. Because, yes, Dave, it's really good. I'm really good at saying no. No, no, my, my, my role is just to keep saying yes until I crumble. That is my uh, current approach to life, it seems. I just go, yeah, sure, I can, yeah, sure. Like, why, why, why are you doing this? Anyway, so I'm, I'm one of those people who tends to load up, and it's not necessarily because I'm being asked, I offer. <laughs> I, I, I. Well, that's even offer. worse. <laughs> I know it's really bad, um, but I'm getting better at at some things where I'm like, no, this is not sustainable. I cannot do this one. But yes, it just depends on how much uh, my ADHD-driven brain does not want to do a thing, and if it doesn't want to do a thing, what it does, it makes itself busy with all the other things. Right. So I refuse. <laughs> okay. Fine. Um, so I'm trying to. So I guess what I'm doing is using books to say reward. Hey, you've went through this spreadsheet. You are allowed to go and. Right. I, um, I, I did want to just mention something when you mentioned about you know some of the books being quite long because uh, you were talking about uh, lighter reads instead of denser reads. I find that yeah, the the tone of a book definitely is more. Uh, makes me worry more about a large page count than otherwise. Yes. For for example, like um, earlier this year, I read a book that was like, it was a thousand page book, you know, quite a hefty yeah. tome, I called it. Um, let me find the name. I've been listing everything I've read this year. Uh, it was called The Love Songs of W.E.B. Dubois by Honoré Fanon Jeffers, uh, kind of a... Um, 
is character in the modern day and kind of there from from when they were young to kind of you know a turning point in their life where kind of the their arc concludes but then it 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 chops it up with going back to their ancestors as well Mm. and um so so it it was (laughs) i mean it's fiction but you know it it read like a biography but because it was because it was fiction, it was written quite well. It was very easy to it was easy to keep turning the page, and you know I did have to um, schedule a re- more reading sessions because it was a library book and I had a deadline. You know I yeah. wanted to return it before it was due, um, so I had a month to get through it, and I did. But uh, it, it it was really pleasant to get through. Meanwhile, um, another library book I borrowed just last month uh, was a a new biography on Sylvia Plath. Um, and it was over a thousand pages as well. It was a huge thing, but I gave up about 75 pages in because the biographer, the style they had, a, it was a biography. So it wasn't, they didn't read like fiction, but, um, it was very much like, and this day in her diary, she wrote this, which reflected that this part in her life. And, you know, it was very, very in the weeds kind of is how I thought of it. And I just couldn't mm. kind of like the prologue was great because it took more of a, a zoomed out approach. And oh, this could be very interesting in her inspiration as a writer. Yeah, I'm very interested in that. And but then, yeah, when it was getting really down to to the uh, the nuance I'm- and the, the subtlety of it, I'm just like, nah, I, I can't. Going to just throw a random question out there. Was the person who wrote this, the author, were they a woman? I believe so. Let me just look up okay. the book. It was called um, Red Comet, I believe. Uh, let me just have a look. I, 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 I only asked. Yep, this. Uh, Heather Clark. Okay, okay. Uh, see, see, that would have been an additional level of no thank you because I don't feel that. Maybe I'm, I'm biased. I'm sure there's many, plenty of men out there who can understand and relate to Sylvia Plath on many levels. Absolutely. Mm. But if you're looking at inspiration and pressures and things that are affecting someone mm-hmm. who living at that age and in that time and in oh, those yeah, circumstances. Yeah. No, and because no. we've talked many times on the podcast about books being empathy machines. And that was yeah. another aspect of the book that I really keyed into, like, because it talked about the 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 issues uh, she had just trying to be recognized in her field during that yeah. that era, and you know, yeah, going well as a guy, I have no frame of reference for this. So of course, yeah, it's interesting to uh, inhabit that. But it was it was just, and it wasn't even that the writing was dry. It was just so ugh, I, I can't even think of the right way to explain it. It was just so. Um, it was too too much detail. Yeah, yeah, like like almost day by day at one point. I'm like, where's the benefit of this? I think I thought and may, maybe another reader or the bride themselves does see like yeah. maybe this is the definitive look at this person. But it, it, it for for me, it just I'm get, I still have difficulty, but I'm getting very better of uh, bowing out of books that I know I'm not enjoying. You know, yeah. I, I'm no longer forcing myself a- through them. I, look, I haven't read the book, so I can't comment mm-hmm. on her, obviously. My, my only feeling would be it sounds like it's using a highly analytical method, like the methodology you use in certain fields, and it's trying to transfer it across or trying to merge these areas together. And that might not always 
deliver as intended. Um, it's weird because that actually ties into a book that I've been reading. Mm. Um, so, because I've been reading, like I said, the last, I don't know, two days. I think two days. Might have been two days. Might be three. Not sure. But I'm kind of wolfing down in my breaks. Uh, or as my motivation tool, a series called, it's a luck, it's called luck, something to do with luck, and it's um, well, twisted by Mel Todd. Now, um, there are points about these books that annoy me, mainly that it's it's meant to be like an alternative um, Earth, and like in terms of like alternative history of Earth, like right. magic suddenly becomes a thing uh, uh, yep, yep. in the 1800s and then that it's interesting but it, it feels also like a commentary on some of the political stuff that occurs and it reframes it in the context of magic and it, it's interesting um there are moments in it though however because it is doing parallels there are definitely parallels i need to look at when it was published some of it because some of it feels like it's kind of pointing out some of the COVID-related conspiracy stuff as well. Ah. And I'm like, ooh, 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 a little bit uncomfortable with this. A little bit of, like, you know, the border... There's a little bit of, like, stuff. But then there's comments that come through once in a while that are straight up saying, this is the perspective that you have when you grow up in this particular country. Mm. But you know what? There are other domains and they have no, like it's basically where we, we are actually, this is a problematic attitude to have. The arrogance mm. is a problem, that kind of thing. And to project our morals on, on things. The reason I bring up that it's, it's related is because there, the way that there's, there's two situations where one in this world, uh, it's so in our, the, the earthly kind of mm. realm domain, they restrict and fragment the understanding of magic in the context of science so in the context of stem right so so science technology engineering math like f that kind of framework of thinking and then there's uh, there's interaction or relationships with other understandings and perception of magic from the other kind of realms that exist or the origin realms of like so, so magic has a very different uh, there's a very different approach or understanding a way of interacting and that it, when you limit to and it's interesting that once in a while you'll see like this when you only see things from one when you try and break it down and limit it only in one way of seeing things you 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 it's fragmented and if you only look at it from the other so this idea of bringing things together and re reconciling them is tricky mm. and that that sometimes there are things that go beyond this is why i'm saying it's it, i have Moments I'm uncomfortable with this particular series, but most of the time it reads well, and I just want to know how things are going to wrap up. Okay. Uh, pretty much, I'm at that point. It's not a drag to read, but it's just there's moments and a, there's a f few funny typos. Hey, those, uh, those one, oh, sorry. there was an L lost in public, so that was a pretty funny typo. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one wants to go to the pubic baths. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, it was, it was pretty funny, but um, yeah. It, mm, eh. Oh, um, because you talked about the idea of it's Earth, but magic exists. Uh, let me just quickly make sure I got the name right. So, okay. have you read uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell? I don't know. Okay. I have to it, look at the blurb to, to know. It, it's, a, it's a book I read three, four years ago. Uh, it's fantasy, but it's basically Victorian era, so like late 1800s, I think. And mm -hmm. it's... Um, 
you know, there's there's this uh, gentleman's club that they're like magicians and they talk about magic theoretically. But then they find there's this guy that actually, oh, he can do it. Um, What's sorry? What was the name again? Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. N-O-R-R-E-L-L. I love how I don't know which which kind of way to spell um, the Jonathan and Mr. Norrell. I see it. I see it. Yeah, it's it. So um, this guy, he can actually do magic, uh, Mr. Strange. And uh, then it follows also a a character called Mr. Norrell who becomes his apprentice. But then they have a falling out and um, it kind of follows both of them together. And it was what I read it because about three, four years ago, I got really heavily into book YouTube and uh, a lot of uh, the people I was watching at the time talked about it being one of their favorite fantasy novels. So, of course, I had to try it. And I remember liking it, but it, it obviously didn't make an impression because except from the premise and the, the vague recollection that I liked it, I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> Could just be my sieve of a memory, but... It's it's like it's a kind of one that seems to be recommended by um, uh, Neil Gaiman and a few others, but yeah, it, that's interesting. I'll have to have a look at it. There's um, that's actually speaking of Neil Gaiman, again Kindle Unlimited means that I've <laughs> I kind of wolfed down a whole bunch of the, the ones that were available. The Sandman. Oh yeah, I I have thingies. the first um, back when I used to. C- by graphic novels i have the first six sandman novels yeah. and and they're they're very dark but very good yes there's a lot of darkness it's very um i like the way i've always this is a like i guess this is our nod to good omens in that sense that yeah that it's it's the way that the different uh the, the i guess the um unchanging kind of elements like death, uh, despair, um, destruction, mm. like uh, how they're all treated as, look, there's always a replacement. Like it's a continuum. It's not like sometimes it sh- shuffles and evolves and changes, but that evolving and changing is unusual. So it, it's yeah, like, they're uh, like, like, uh, the Fae and the Dresden files. It's, uh, there, it's a mantle more than a person. Yeah, and I mean, even the the Fae are interesting in when you look at, um, because we get nods to the Fae as well. So, yeah. Did you? There's um, some interesting stuff. In in your look into Gaiman's work, did you happen to read The Ocean at the End of the Lane? Ah, I meant to. I think I I intended to, and I just kind of, it did a, my brain did a. It's it's, um, got a, because I I listened to the audiobook back when it came out, back when I had my Audible um, membership subscription you know i was a part of audible and um gaiman reads it himself and he's a very good narrator but uh mm-hmm. one of the thing that i'll always remember that story for was you know that feeling when you were a kid and there was an adult in your life who you just thought was scary and cruel and you knew they yeah. had power over you and they knew they had power over you yeah. There, there's a character in The Ocean at the End of the Lane that really exemplifies that feeling of fear and powerlessness that you have as a child when there's an adult like that. And that's always going to stick with me. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a, you know, that's a thing. Like, I, 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 
this is a slight sidestep. Not much of a sidestep. It's kind of parallel step. Mm-hmm. When we look at there's there's stuff going on, not necessarily in my life, but in like people within my periphery. Mm. And and like how they they've had um, there are some trying to kind of get to a point where you can communicate with a child. Okay, so when there are adults with adults, we've talked about this before, that we have compassion with one another, and that's cool. Compassion is good. Compassion is recognizing that this is a human being and they have the potential to make a choice that is not harmful or there's a reason they've gone to the state where they make these choices or like all these things. It, however, if you don't temper that compassion with um, justice and, and vice versa, if you don't compa- temper justice with compassion, you end up with these extreme situations that are not helpful for anyone mm. and are destructive and harmful around the, uh, across the board. And the tricky part is trying to convey or communicate to, for example, a child, why an adult who is in a, in a role of, who is in a position of authority or responsibility, though deserving of compassion, they have put, they are usually in a place where they have responsibilities hmm. and there are certain standards that they must meet and not meeting those standards. Although you can be compassionate due to like, as to what's causing this, they need to meet those standards otherwise because they're in a state of responsibility and they are responsible for the well-being of those who are in their care Mm. yeah or who are affected by their choices and decisions whereas say a child or adolescent or child when we when we try and apply those same concepts to to someone who may have no control over their environment Mm. no or very limited control like we don't know what's going on in their home we don't know what's going on. And yet yeah, might be the same for an adult. Sure. But the difference is a child has even less control over their their environment or what, what, how they're raised to believe or the qualities that there is. Whereas an adult presumably has had more of an opportunity to interact with the world at large and therefore can be held more, more accountability can be held against them when they, then they don't meet their st- the standards needed, like that what they're responsible for. Whereas mm-hmm. a child... Um, and and early adolescent, and in fact, I'd say adolescent up to until they are in a role of of responsibility for others. Yeah. Y- yeah. No, that's that you can't apply that. So when you, and and it's really an interesting thing to tangle through, and try and convey to someone who, for example, is young, um, without making them feel as though there's no expectations. Or trying your, you know what I mean? Like you don't want to encourage medio- mediocrity, but you also want to discourage using the same lens of, I guess, justice and how you uh, apply justice and compassion to an adult differing from a child. Like that's a really hard topic. And that's um, the reason I'm bringing it up is that when you're talking about how you have that, when you have an adult like having that adult in your sphere when you are a child and having that kind of impact that it can also affect how you as an adult or child perceive of what an adult is. You become, for example, you could become a child that is tougher on on fellow children, Mm -hmm. but more lenient with adults. Or you become an adult who's more tough on children and more lenient on adults because you have that, you've developed that inherent, I guess, association of fear with authority. Mm. 
uh, and I'm and I'm not a psychologist, but like that's for me that's really dangerous territory. Mm. <laughs> that's really really dangerous territory because the, I mean that's where um, without getting political, that's how you end up with very young children, and I think that anyone below the age age of eighteen is very young, but anyone below the age of fifteen is extremely young. But say a ten year old having to go to prison. Mm. For, because they they've made some choices, but they attend, they have, their brains most people's brains don't uh, f- don't reach final stages of development in terms of impulse control and all that until mm-hmm. twenty eight. Yeah, twenty one to twenty eight is your rough age span where that kind of thing settles in. Yeah, I'm going. Yeah. Anyway, so on that very dark note. Yeah. Um, it it, it ties in, and I think that yeah, Neil Neil Gaiman is brilliant at exploring that kind of aspect. Are there issues with some stuff? Yes, yeah, sure. No, none, no, none of these authors. Yep. Are, no are, one escapes. Are, no one escapes. Like everyone be, be, has, because we're all human. <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, he's very good at um, exploring. And I would actually say there's another book, there's another author that I do recommend. I'm going to find them. Mm. Uh, who who like to explore that slightly darker side of it. I think I've mentioned her before in our podcast, which is Haley Edwards. She has a series, which is the black hat bureau. It's got a bit of trash in it. It's okay. It's like a little trashy. Hey, hey, look, trash, look, trash. I, just- I am a huge Dresden Files fan. I would kind of yeah. call, especially the first few books. Yeah. They're kind of pulpy. They're kind of trashy. Yeah. It's, it's not trash in a negative way. It's just like, it's not, necessarily like there's moments where you're like okay there's some fairy bread kind of woven through this empty calories yeah there's some empty calories um junk junk food reading yes yeah um but look if you want something that's not too bad that kind of does have a bit of a it's occult it's dark it's it's quite challenging but her books her books tend to be about or her series tend to be about um redemption and change Mm. and in some cases very extreme uh, like like redemption and it's sorry just wind um, so no it's, no it's... that was a car oh okay so yeah trauma redemption change there are some heavy topics so be warned but yeah I would say I, I, I like I find her books really like engaging uh, really she has moments of, of gold there are very few typos which can occur can occur with with a lot of the I, i'm i'm books. getting the idea that um you think less of an author when you encounter multiple typos in a book when when i get a lot of typos in a book or like the, the my what was the worst one i saw the other day and i was just i was i was mentally gritting <laughs> like i found my teeth like grinding like oh it was a um it was a homonym so it was one of those times, like you know, when they when you not, not grammatic like they're there, but like one of those words that's like, oh, that's that's not the right word. Uh. That is that is the wrong word in that context. And um, so I, I basically am unpaid editor, and I go <laughs> I submit typo things like that's a typo. Like uh, like um, a lot of folks don't know when to use effect or effect properly. Yeah, like I don't even that one wouldn't even. 
I mean, it would, it, I would notice it and it would annoy me, but it was like a, a bigger, bigger thing of, oh, and I don't judge, judge the author because these things happen and people are also using like vocal recording and transcription and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, so that's not an issue. And people also, like, when they're tired, when I'm tired, I make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Everyone makes mistakes. And I'm like, there's a lot of leniency. But you notice. But I notice it. And also when I notice it, and it's in combination with, say, something that feels a little bit too, oh, okay, that's what you're doing. Okay, that's a bit predictable. Okay, fine. Like, when it's combined with, not, it's not lazy. Formulaic? Yes. When it hits, when you hit a lot of formula and a lot of typos, that usually tends mm-hmm. to be my, okay, so I'm going to be wrapping that up. You're not an author I'm going to necessarily invest my time and energy in. But yeah. If if the book's more engaging, less formulaic, you'll forgive more typos. Pretty much, pretty much, yes. And also, if, like if the characters become, they don't have to be likable characters, but they can't be whiny and constantly like. <laughs> like you, you don't want to have to. You don't want to have to have that feeling of wanting to reach into the book and smack the character because they're just being <laughs> so annoying. Um, and I've had that. Yeah. And uh, usually that means I am never reading that series again. <laughs> well, well, okay. If 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 the character's arc is turning from a whiny person to someone who can actually like take responsibility and actually do what needs That's to be different. done, fair enough. But but you know if they're like that in book two and then book three, <laughs> no, it, like if if you see no uh, evolution in character. Then no. Well, like actually, a really good example is you know Frodo was rather whiny at the start of Fellowship. My God, yes, 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 he was. Uh, it wasn't overtly like no, actually no, we, we can't say that. He 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 was. Whiny. He, he was like, basically there was, there was why why is it on me to have this burden? Why? why? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, I see it sometimes with some of these characters that that I read because they're like end of the world kind of. Oh, but why am I? Why do I? Mm-hmm. Why do I? But then um, usually they suck it up and they 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 deal with it. Well, well, you know it, it's um, it's even more interesting with Lord of the Rings and spoilers here for a book that's what like sixty seventy years old now, <laughs> um, and has <laughs> oh, had, no. has had three hit movies. Spoiler alert! And has now a TV series that's starting on yeah. Prime. But to be fair, Frodo's whininess—he he wasn't able to do it in the end. Sam had to carry him to Mount Doom, and in the end, it was Gollum basically. Well, they fought, and Gollum fell over with the ring. But it wasn't in in, in kind of the, the the last leg of the journey. Frodo didn't have it within him to do it anymore. I think, although with that one, I mean, Lord of the Rings serious fans are going to like go no forever. Okay, so I mean, very condensed, very very slack summary it would be also relating to the the corruption of mm-hmm. even the most oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Vol- and, the most and, innocent or or well-meaning uh, i don't think less of frodo let, let's be fair I've, yeah. I've um in fact you know like a lot of folks samwise is my favorite character in that yeah. series and you know it, it's beautiful how I, I believe the, the line in the movie is, well, it's probably in the book as well, but, you know, I can't carry the ring, Master Frodo, but I can carry you. And yeah, yeah. It, it, it's his 
love of his friend that basically uh, sorry we have there's there's moments of no no greater love story than that of frodo and sam um <laughs> pretty much i wish all my yeah. friendships were that lovely but <laughs> no it's a good one it's a good little like yeah yeah he i mean i mean Fro- frodo is plenty heroic um you know just getting as far as he did with that burden yeah. Um, but it's just, yeah, he wasn't able to cross the finish line on his own. And, no. you know, that then, then I'm thinking about how, you know, from my personal values, I think, well, yeah, we can't do anything alone. Maybe there's no. that greater idea that, you know, he couldn't do it by himself. And I think that's all the why it's also the fellowship of the we're not mm-hmm. going into the whole thing, but yeah, no, but yeah, you know that that whole idea of a burden shared will actually mm-hmm. get things done, and that the the greater the burden, the more who more who need to actually contribute to its resolution, mm-hmm. even if some individuals may have more of a responsibility in in some contexts. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, cool, yeah. No, so the, like, there's bits that you kind of go that makes sense. It reconciles. I mean, I guess the individual's responsibility to identify what their uh, what their role is, and to also develop that kind of understanding that it isn't just about you and your ego and you fixing everything for everyone else, which seems to be a common theme in a lot of the books I read. I've just realized that that it's a, one big thing is you have like it, yeah the redemption books and all that but you've also got a whole bunch of where there's one person who for example is willing to sacrifice themselves for the well-being of everyone else but doesn't want to be reliant or work like necessarily have those who whom she she usually is trying to protect or save or whatever be the ones who pay the cost because that's and 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 most of the time other characters are really calling them out on it i was about to ask if that was the case because i've come across that as well you know they oh you want to be noble and you want to escape having to actually do the hard thing and stick by these people and do the work but you just want the grand gesture well yes except it's more like you know, you you love others, and therefore you are willing to sacrifice yourself for them without thinking. Hey, they have agency as well, and they can also determine what they are willing to accept as a sacrifice. And mm-hmm. it becomes a whole thing of like we maybe we all have to sacrifice ourselves to, I guess, save the world or whatever it is that that particular scenario. But it should be a choice and you should not take choice away from others mm. and you shouldn't make the presumption that you have the authority or the uh, the yeah the authority i guess or the the right to make a determination that will affect others like it, you you can't uh, it's like sacrifice is one thing but sacrifice when you are doing so without considering the the impact or the implications that's a question. So it, it was. It, it's interesting. Uh, it, it, like a lot of them do challenge this idea of, oh, it is up to me. I am the one, you know, who must. So look, yes, you might may be powerful or whatever, but it is actually in your relationships that you need to seek that web of supporting one another. And most of this is because a lot of the. I mean, this is coming from authors who very heavily are women. Like I will have people who are not. But a heavy proportion of these books do tend to be written at least by authors who are associated with um, women. But I don't like, might be ghostwriters, who knows? I don't know. Um, but yeah, so they, they, they do read that way. And I'm okay. wondering about that. I mean, it's, it's the same with them. Um, what's his name? Um, uh, brain. Brain, brain, brain. 
Butcher. Brain, 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 brain. Yes, Butcher. Uh, so Dresden Files is one, for example, where again it's it's you know you've got the noble hero wanting to sacrifice himself for everyone, and then and and over many, 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 many books, he finally does get to a point where he's like, well, no, withholding information from my friends because I want to protect them is boneheaded because they're they're my friends and they have their own agencies, so I need to tell them everything's on the table and then trust them to make their own choices. Yes. It just took took forever to get there, but get there. <laughs> um, forever and a day to get there, but got there. But it's the same I... with um. Sorry, I was about to say with uh, Pratchett. Pratchett does it too. Pratchett does it too. Grimes, he they he does it in a slightly less bone like less contrasting way, less less Dresden Files. You're being a bonehead thing. Oh, I, I see. I uh, when you said Pratchett, I didn't think Vimes at all. I my mind went to Granny Weatherax, because that's well, all the mystery of being a witch. Yes, yes. But that, I was thinking more things like yeah, we like with the um, uh, not veterinarians, but because no, <laughs> he he is very much not liking others actually being involved in, but likes moving others around to do his well, bidding. And I, I don't think you could give Veterinari any information as another character that he didn't already have. Yes. But even like Death working together, or the Wizards. Uh, well, well, see, see uh, before you mentioned Pratchett, I was going to say that that idea of I need to protect people by withholding information because I'm the only one can, that can handle it. That's a very, like, Butcher plays with that, with the idea that it's so so boneheaded and ego-driven because it's a wizard thing. The idea that when you have that much knowledge and power, you, you gain this ego that, oh, no, the mere mortals cannot handle this. Yeah, and, and, and in the, or even predicting what others are going to do on, before they've made a... Like, it's it's mm -hmm. not cool. Oh, but but um, it's, it's funny, the wizards and Pratchett's are more, you well, know, they're, they're, it, it, it's a satire in academia. They just basically stay in their ivory towers and, and the, the, yeah. higher, the higher ups just, you know, eat. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. early on, they tried to assassinate each other for clout, but that, you know, um, as, as you read, I've been doing a slow reread of this world. I'm, um, I'm about to pick up a Reaper Man from the library. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm at about book nine, ten. Um, and by this point, he's almost solidified that the, the the wizards are academics rather than, you know, conniving uh, assassins trying to get to the top of the university's uh, hierarchy. But even then, I think he was kind of thumbing his nose at academia because, you know, usually a position only opens up in academia when someone dies. <laughs> well, yes, yes. Oh, uh, dear, dear. I, I will say, um, going off of the idea of uh, these series, I've been reading one that I've been really enjoying. I'm still kind of in the middle of it. It's called The Cradle Series by Will, Wright. Will White, I think. Um, it's kind of, I got into it because uh, I listened to a podcast and she was recommending it, and, uh, the host, and she said they, um, oh, that's what it was. I'm listening to the uh, this host go through One Piece, which is a favorite series of mine. And she said that before uh, this writer wrote the latest book in his Cradle series, he binged all One Piece again because he's a huge fan of it. And she's like, now that I'm into One Piece, I can now really see the the inspiration because this book really 
reads like a Western novel version of like a shonen martial arts anime. Mm. You know, you got a character who starts off with like no power at all. And then you find out the reasons for that very quickly. And then, then suddenly he meets another character and they're starting to grow in power. And, you know, but it just sees every time they get to, every time they get to the plateau, they look up and they see a taller mountain. So it's that power scale that always happens in anime where there's always a stronger enemy and you got to train and you got to work out a way to get past the next obstacle. But but I like the it, characters. That seems to be like a consistent theme. That's a yeah. that's a very anime theme. Yes. Um, I I am a sucker for a good shonen anime. There's just something about that, you know. Um, usually the main characters of those series have this like charisma that anyone they defeat in combat eventually becomes their friend. I like that. But but just the idea of you know always always working hard to get a get to the next plateau. I I think as someone who enjoys creative works that idea of just you know you've reached this limit keep pushing keep keep striving for whatever the the next um yeah i i keep i keep leaning on the word plateau but um it's 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 the roller coaster of life it's a continuous crisis victory and growth the growth is not a, a constant but rather uh well and, and there's something humbling and also interesting where you you know you, you get to a certain point and, and you think, yeah, I've made it. Look how big I am. And you look, you know, where you came from and it, you're so high up. But then you turn around and you see, you see the mountain go through the stratosphere. That idea that no matter how far along you've come, you look forward and you're like, oh, cool. Yes, I've come a long way. But there's always somewhere new to travel. There's always yeah. another. Uh, there, yeah, growth is a good way to put. There's always new heights. I find that that actually does seem to be across the board in literature, in anime, manga, whatever. When the books that really captivate are the ones where there is, yes, of course, the underdog series, very popular, mm -hmm. um, but also those who, the, the attitude towards growth and change. Um, so I guess that idea of, dealing with crisis and how we process it and uh camaraderie it's, it's interesting to see those universal themes again i'm coming at it with no literature kind of background um and i'm, I'm sure like i know that for a fact that these are things that exist in literature is like the the themes and the the um i know the arcs and stuff this is my dim recollections of high school stuff but also like conversations with friends who say have a master's in literature or whatever so it's like <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that they talk about but like from i i love the fact that that is and this is i guess where we, we like to talk about on the podcast is this idea of um it's <sighs> It's really um, the ability of media, yes, literature, writing, whatever, to act as a tool mm -hmm. to evoke, yes, emotional reflection, insight, or an empathy kind of develop empathy towards certain situations, being able to see things from different perspectives, being able to explore how relation human relationships or just even just generally because i mean elves aren't human so you know what i mean like substitutes for the interactions and dynamics of uh relationships that we experience mm -hmm. um or wish to experience or hope or like uh, is idealize or even 
um, the <laughs> the opposite, where we kind of go like worst case scenario, this is the kind of worst kind of thing, in an almost safe-ish framework, mm. which is interesting. Like I find that really cool, because if you let's zoom back a bit, this is the thing. Uh, the medium of stories has always been a thing. Like mm-hmm. that we've used. We've talked about this potentially before. Yeah, yeah we have. Yeah. yeah, around just sitting around the fire mm-hmm. and from the very beginning talking in stories and, and talking about stories in order to learn. And one of the big things that we, of course, need to learn is things like or explore concepts of is, and I guess, our, how we interact, the choices we make, the ethical frameworks that we have to consider. And that's kind of cool. And when that's built really well into by, by an author, that can be fascinating. But the fact that we've got this attitude, you notice, for example, in, in um, at least a lot of the Japanese kind of uh, the, the anime and the manga kind of side of things, a lot of the time it's the attitude of the plucky, not that there aren't moments of disappointment or discouragement, those exist, but that you take that discouragement and you use that to fuel and motivate you to continue to try and get better, to work hard and keep that, that whole gunbatte kind of attitude of just keep going, keep going, keep trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you've reached a height, it's okay if you are, you experience humility or you develop humility because you realize, oh, there's someone that's even better. Oh, there's someone who knows even more. Oh, okay, I need to work harder then. There's, some, there's more to learn. Awesome. Um, and that's a really cool kind of, and of course it can be dis- they they also very very much will see things where they like oh i i'll never get i'll never be the best in the world am i going well be the best you be your best it's not about and and, and that's the difference i have i guess we see these whole be the best in the world and then once in a while you'll see a story or something that's actually discussing no 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 you just do your best you develop your skills and see where where you belong um, I guess. I don't know. That's all this question. <sighs> I did have one I wanted to just uh, talk about a little uh, before we go, just because it's, it's one of those that I've been uh, thinking about um, ever since I finished reading it. So it's a uh, series of short stories. It's, it's a book called When We Cease to Understand the World uh, by Benjamin Labatet. Uh, I only I only found out later when I, I looked up the book afterwards that I think it was written in Portuguese and then translated into English. The guy's the the author lives in Chile, but he was born somewhere in Europe and moved there at some point. Um, but it, it was a fascinating book because I would call it historical fiction. The first story is about the German scientist who was able to extract nitrogen from the air um, in the in the early parts of the 20th century and you know he basically saved the world because suddenly people could make their own fertilizer and we could feed the growing population of the planet unfortunately he was also the um, the guy who created chlorine gas and killed untold people in World War one yeah he, 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 he was a bit of a person. Um, and every every story is kind of like that. There's one about oh, I can't remember the guy's name because Grothing Dyke, uh, like the the most prominent mathematician of the 20th century, who he he created these volumes that no one else could follow, and then he just ran off and 
became a hermit because he was so scared about the framework that he'd created at the heart of mathematics. And it follows like a modern Japanese mathematician who kind of did the same thing. He create, he posted this huge proof on his blog that no one could um, decipher, but it was like just something brand new and wild. And eventually he deleted it and became a complete hermit because it was just too much for the world. Um, and every story is kind of a little like this. It's but the, the 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 biggest chapter, like it's the majority of the book, um, you know, most of them are like short stories that can be read in 20 minutes. But then like half the book is um, kind of its own little novella with chapters. And that's about uh, Schrodinger and Heisenberg. And that's wild. The other thing, because um, like a lot of... Um, a lot of the stories are all about how like these proofs from these physicists and mathematicians seem to like, uh, I think Heisenberg, uh, according to the story, he wrote his in a fever, like the thing that made him. Um, and just how they seem to, these proofs seem to come from outside themselves. And then after they wake up one morning and they see what they've written, they have to kind of almost reverse engineer, like, how did I get that? Um, kind of almost serendipitous. Um, but the, the most interesting about Thing about the book, aside from it kind of being a collection of horror stories, because it, it kind of really does uh, lean towards the negative of all these scientific advancements we've made during the 20th century from these people. But, um, you know, Schrodinger is mostly known for Schrodinger's cat. The idea that if you have a cat with a radioactive isotope in, in a uh, sealed case, you have to lift the lid to see whether the cat is alive or dead. And before you lift that lid, the cat is in a quantum state. You know, mm. it, it is both alive and dead until it is observed. And that was, that's kind of the whole revolution we made about quantum mechanics is that everything is in flux until it's observed. But the funniest thing is that that wasn't, See, it was Heisenberg that came up with those principles from the Copenhagen School. Uh, he was uh, an apprentice of Niels Bohr, and th yeah. they, they came up with those principles. Schrodinger, like Einstein, spent the majority of his life arguing against those principles because it was the idea that, well, if the world is quantum, determinism doesn't matter. There is no like logical anchored foundation to physics and the natural world. Like... Uh, it, it just it just shook them completely. So to try and ridicule Heisenberg's principle, he came up with the, the cat experiment to show how ridiculous the idea is. And Heisenberg just responded, no, you've got it right. This perfectly illustrates my point. So, so yeah. he's kind of become known. He was apparently, yeah, he was the, it's like the illustrating the problems of that whole... Uh, of all the Heisenberg kind of stuff. And yeah, now that's why we have this whole principle that you can know in terms of subatomic stuff, that you can know um, where something is and how fast or how fast it's going, but can never know both mm. at the same time. It is not possible to know both at the same time. It's an either or. And that's called the uncertainty principle, which is makes sense in terms of the cat. It's mm. both. It's, it's, it's both alive, it's both alive and dead, because you can't know whether it's alive until you open the box. And once you've opened the box, you've actually disrupted the experiment, so you know where it is. Yeah. And and that reading that reminded me, because I think I've said it on podcast before, but I remember the whole idea of um, just hearing or reading somewhere about the problem with scientific experiments is that idea that you change the result by measuring it. 
And reading this book, I'm like, no, no, I kind of got it wrong. Um, I, I probably learned that when I was reading like a sci-fi book that didn't, or watched an episode of Star Trek that talked about quantum mechanics. It's not that you change the outcome by measuring it. It's that um, nothing is determined until it is measured. Yes. And then even when once you've measured it, that determination is no longer relevant to the current state. Um, because you've already changed the situation by doing the measurements. So the situation has been changed by measuring it, so you cannot know the other thing. Yeah, it's it's all quantum is, is weird and woolly and fun. It's a little out of my where I live in my, my nice little uh, side of, of the science. Well, Hence, well, very rough, very rough concepts of quantum. Let, let me yeah. run this by you because I was actually writing about this the other day. I, I do my journaling morning pages every morning uh, just, you mm. know, to get my thoughts out of my head onto the page. And it helps me a lot. But, you know, so Einstein's whole... Um, Fear and why he tried to disprove was that idea that um, he, the idea that if if everything's in the quantum state, then yeah, there there's there's nothing to to base physics on. There's there's like no order to the natural world because, uh, well, the the idea I guess it goes into the idea of per parallel universes. Like if if something doesn't happen here, well, then there's an offshoot universe where that something else happened, mm. and my. This is just coming from someone who finds these ideas interesting and doesn't really understand them well at all. But I thought, well, I don't know. Like, yes, if we have, let's let's say the idea of um, choice in quantum is true, and there every time we make a choice, there are millions of universes where every other permutation of that shoots off. You know, that doesn't mean that there isn't a an anchor and there isn't determinism in this universe based on the way everything's yeah. running yeah. now. And, and that's where it gets, I mean, this is where we're going in, into the very murky area. This is like neck deep into, oh, hi, philosophy meets physics mm -hmm. meets maths meets. Well, well, well you know, um, to, to, to yeah. me, um, and, and maybe it's a, maybe it's me being um, disrespectful or just ignorant, but when it comes to science, when it comes to religion, philosophy, to me, because of who I am and how I look at the things, it's all it's all ideas. Yeah, and I think that that's the difference, though. Is like there's aspect uh, science a comes exists in a way that it, it is a perspective. It is mm. it is a way to see things. Okay, it's a way to to engage with and um, ascertain uh, usually natural phenomenon or like have a, a strategy mm -hmm. by which one say explores information that is occurring in a material yeah. sense of existence. So this it has to do with things like, for example, um, even even science exists in terms of sociology when you're like people making choices yeah. and what are the factors that are more likely to lead to what kind of choice and outcome and you know the, mm -hmm. that. And I, I, I have commented on this before that statistics is an interesting topic in itself, um, where statistics is essentially, so it's, it's going to the thing, statistics and data science, the difference between statistics and data science, and this is a tweet I read and I can't remember who said it, but it was hilarious to me and it made all my friends laugh who relate to this. Statistics serves the existential angst as the main dish. Data science, it's a side dish. The reason I say that is in statistics, everything has to do with the likelihood of something being real or not. Ah, it's all probability. 
there's a lot of probability within statistics has to do with how much of this is likely to be occurring by chance, how much of this is occurring by, like, because there's a causal thing. That's why we, the, 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 the old expression correlation is not causation is like a cornerstone and needs to mm. be repeated ad infinitum. And then there's also the error, like how much of this is because of the measurement, how much of this is because of an unknown effect, how much of it is because of the way that different factors interrelate to each other or the appropriate mm. it's it's intense. And when when the real like mathematicians get into it, it gets oof. Um so it's it shows us where why like it's that area where philosophy and science very much overlap. And it is the perception of, I guess, reality. And of course, what is religion, if also not a way of um, navigating reality? And in some cases, that's where it becomes, there, there, there'll be a split there. Mm. Because there, some of it is the reality that we are experiencing in this context, and some of it is a reality that we don't understand. And I think that that's why humans love to try and figure things out. Mm. And that's cool. And that's a good quality that we have. It's more that when we try and put things in boxes that don't fit in boxes, and then we get cha that challenges our concept of what a box is, like even the idea of what a box is will get challenged. That's where it gets interesting. And in science, science has the risk of falling into the same kind of dogmatic approaches that many other uh, ways of navigating reality can fall into, including our, mm. including philosophy and theology, and all these. We we yeah. can get dogmatic, and that's that's well, challenging. well, you know, what, what, like as an individual, once an idea really makes sense to you, and you kind of latch onto that idea, it can be. I don't want to say it can be difficult to make that idea change, but it, it's you know basically at that point you have the risk of the idea being part of your personality. So it yes. becomes who you are, yeah. and thus if the idea is challenged, suddenly you're being challenged, and that's when things yeah. get difficult. I think that there's that's going to also be always a thing where we have to be aware that there's what is idea, what is motivation, what is inspiration, what is perception, what is like so it gets it gets when we limit it to only thinking this remains in the realm of ideas. Yes, except when you bring ideas into practical. So when you bring theory and practical and you merge those and then you weave through that an additional layer of, say, purpose. So purpose, what is the purpose? Okay, I understand how, I mean, I understand how uh, the general the general ideas of we understand the theory of how nuclear physics works. Yes. Okay. Nuclear physics. We have a general idea. We understand uh, how that would look like in practical reality. But depending on the purpose, the outcome differs, and the impact differs. So nuclear. Well, bomb. Like, like yeah, yeah. The power the power plant versus the A bomb. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean power plants have also got some issues, but mm -hmm. like in terms in terms of in our purpose, if our purpose is that we're even uh, let's look at our power plants. If our purpose is to try and uh, make a great amount of profit mm. versus have the least environmental impact and therefore also contribute to the well-being of our population, mm -hmm. global population, yeah, not just yeah. selective, so then that shifts things. So, so you yeah, can yeah. see how it's never just one facet. And that's the cool thing about mm. humanity, that we are complicated, we are messy, and we have so much scope to grow and learn. Well, 
and and I guess that's is, is, that's again that's where books come in because they challenge us. And you have and and to anyone who's a budding author out there who happens to randomly be listening to our podcast, who knows? Consider that kind of things that, that these are the things that can inspire others to also. These can be where you do little thought experiments of like, if you have that kind of scenario, what, where do we put the priorities? Exploring ethics, exploring, mm. um, science fiction is a great space because yeah, yeah. you can kind of go like, you can do all sorts of, um, like what happens if you only are motivated to save a certain percentage of the population versus doing the best you can for those who are also vulnerable. The, one of the books I read, the, the, the books series that I'm wrapping up now, the, the one about magic, had a moment where it actually addresses eugenics. Hmm. And that's fascinating because the way it was addressed, it actually opened the emotional kind of worms and also revealed the, the cold, callous approach that informs it. Hmm. And managed to do it in, I mean, those solutions were sought and, and other stuff, but there, there, there's, it really challenges that aspect. Hmm. And I think there's, that's not a bad thing. I think we need to constantly be challenged. Hmm. Um, I mean, you, you, you know, yeah. that, that old saying, uh, no man is an island, which links back to earlier when I said we can't do anything alone. What you no. said about purpose made me think, yeah, no idea is an island either. It's always connected no. to something else. Like ideas are great. We have millions of ideas a day. It's the choices and the purpose. And when we we look at the application and refine ideas into direction, mm. that's when you, you have something. So science is not purely ideas. Philosophy isn't purely ideas. Um, religion is not purely ideas. They can, it just, it's how they are integrated and how mm. they are used that makes a difference as to what it looks like. And and that's where it, where it gets really cool. Kind Humanity. of. Yeah, yeah. No, no. You just made me think, you know, one of the problems of people who make uh, video games when they talk to someone who always thought that they wanted to make one, you know, that person will all go, oh yeah, I'd love to make a video game. I got so many great ideas. And the, the people who make the games chuckle because at least them, and I've heard this with script writing and that too. It's like, yeah, you said before, we have thousands of ideas a day. Ideas are a dime a dozen. What's difficult is take an idea. Uh, this is more creative, but, you know, take an idea, testing it, and then turning it into something. Well, so, and, and that's where approach and purpose will play a major factor. Because if your approach is, for example, you know, I've been been doing this course so it's probably in, in my mind where we're talking about um uh we're talking about integrative an integrative approach to education because of course that's on, on top of all the other things that i tend to commit myself to i'm also studying a course on that because why not um it's an integrative approach to education <laughs> and curriculum development and um there was this there's this whole section where they're discussing like how textbook the textbooks where they came from and, and this is related to um a core uh, so what eventually became courses on uh it's it's, it's i can't remember the exact name but like basically related relating to preparing for um social action and change and in the sense of like for example if you have a rural community and actually addressing how do you how do you have social development other than social development in say a rural community to to benefit the rural community but also have an impact that's long-term and intergenerational anyways that's where the context mm. comes from yeah, it's it's a really good like really 
daily courses, like very thought provoking, very, very, uh, very informed of actual reality, because these were developed based on actually exploring these concepts and right. applications and refining it in the field. So it's not just coming out of, oh, I reckon it would be nice. <laughs> it's mm -mm. not just like some highfalutin ideas. It's reality. Highfalutin. Highfalutin ideas. It's actually informed of reality. And so there's an aspect that was being explored. Um, we were talking about the section we were talking about was capacity and how the definition of capacity in this context of this curriculum development shifted uh, and how integration of so integration an approach of integration in education there's the basic level which is okay interdisciplinary or you know knowledge from different fields say on the in one of the examples like say the production of soya soybeans so you take the different fields of sciences and whatever and that is relevant to soybeans but then there's the next level which is well what about exploring like in terms of the the more than just the material impact but also like what are the qualities you need to understand like develop these skills and capabilities and, and so it's more than just here's the information it was information how do we have also a process that refines this information to be actually applicable and relevant to the area that you are in and then on next level is, well, how do you explore purpose and bigger picture kind of like motivation, purpose uh, and, and refining? So purpose becomes a whole aspect to this. And it also talks about like qualities of, um, say, you don't want to have, coming back to this compassion and justice thing, how do you balance out these things? How do you explore the context of these qualities and then balance them out and then think of how it's like the qualities that might be relevant for soya production in a rural community? Well, there needs to be a certain amount of reinvestment, say funds, so financial, very practical. But what is a quality you would need in order to have financial, uh, you know, a sustainable, long-term, transformative thing? Firstly, you'd have to be motivated to actually think about future generations, Right. Mm. So there's a certain amount of I might not see what happens to the tree I plant, but future generations will benefit from it kind of thing. So you need to have like that long term kind of, I guess, vision. You don't need to have another quality, which is, for example, can you ha handle finances and stuff without there being absolute trust? You need trust. But then you also need transparency. So you also need sincerity. You also need patience because not everyone's going to be on the same, you know, set of skills and whatever mm. so patience uh, understanding uh humility because the farmers might know a hell of a lot more than you do with your fancy university degree that rock up mm -hmm. so humility so you can see how all these things it's not just coming there with ideas and an approach and here's some knowledge and information whatever you can't develop understanding if you don't also consider those aspects mm. and you don't have change unless you consider all the facets that contribute to it so it was really it's a really good it's yeah. a really good and and i get the feeling that yeah especially when you're talking about change it has to be the right type of change for wherever the change is supposed to be change is not just about your personal benefit change is finding i guess the common vision or developing a co common vision and working towards it whether it's going to take one generation or ten mm. And that the, that the idea is that you 
are all collectively also aware of change has to be related to the needs of that area. Yeah, that's what I, I said. Yeah, but, yeah, but exactly. I, even like on a like on a personal level, the the way I'm looking to change may be very different from the way you're looking to change because we both have different needs and different goals. And yeah, but the the thing is, the common ground is there. Change means ideally change when we're talking about change is change is working towards uh, improvement of say material conditions okay that might be one thing another thing is relationship in terms of dynamics which are not necessarily material things but even just when we look at an individual so individual growth when we look at individual growth and change ideally you'd want to have healthier, stronger foundations of your friendships, for example. Mm -hmm. That might be a goal. And most people want to have that. It, it's rare that you kind of, your only purpose in life is going to be, oh, well, I can, I, if I have enough money, I'll buy the friends I want. <clears throat> well, look, you get what you paid for kind of mm. thing. <laughs> it's like, hmm. Whereas, you know, you can still want to materially benefit, not necessarily become a multi-billionaire, but you might want to not feel insecure. Mm. Uh, you know, you might want to be able to put a meal on your table. You might wish to, like, your your direction of change may be, I want to form, I want to settle down and have a family. That is a form of change. Mm. And then... Because sometimes you've got to do some uh, deep work on yourself to get to the point, to get to that point. Yes, or your your concept of okay, well, when I say that, what do I mean with family? What is mm. a what do I mean settle down? What do I mean like so actually learning to think a bit more broadly? And this, of course, the change that I'm talking about in the rural communities, it's not about there is individual change. Yes, absolutely, but it's not about the individuals only. Like individual change is part of the process, but it's not necessarily mm. the the. Per, like the bigger purpose the bigger purpose is that there is benefit for all mm. that there there'll be a change that for example you know we're having whether okay dear listeners whether you believe in climate change or not there's some serious weather issues um so for example the the change might be that i want that in in to contribute to a future and there might be a consensus that that there these extreme weather patterns either can be reduced or future generations can be adequately protected mm -hmm. or develop the skills and the capacities needed in order to continue to thrive as a civilization mm. uh, and then continue to contribute to an ongoing civilization. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it is, it is rare that, like, at least when I'm talking about change, I am not talking about change in terms of disintegration. I'm generally talking about change where we're trying to think of ways for humanity to kind of collectively evolve. Hmm. Yeah. Or to, to raise our capacity to, to bring into reality the, the really beautiful things that we are capable of. Hmm. Um, and yeah, and that will also include art and creativity and beauty why not why not create a more beautiful world for everyone yes and and i guess that that's that's part of it and that's why books books are nice books nice books nice yeah well i, yeah. I think um you know as our first bonus episode this went pretty well <laughs> i got a little distracted and i went deep down the philosophy route but yeah as you do <laughs> well, well at least this time it wasn't uh before we had to read a chapter there is that there is that. 
Um, yeah, no, no, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I think it's probably about time we wrapped up. <laughs> there is, there is a Rui showing me a fuzzy bunny. Is, is, is that the, the one that Lisa had that's just super fuzzy? Unfortunately, it is not as soft and as nice as Lisa's, but it's a good little Wish knockoff. So, thanks, Wish. Uh, <laughs> our our friend Lisa has this uh, plush rabbit that is like the softest thing you've ever felt. It is it is a very soothing softness that that I do appreciate when when I visit. But yes, yes. But uh, yeah, uh, you know we've um, we're obviously uh, still reading. Uh, we are working on the next season of the podcast. Uh, that will oh, be. Yeah. I I think. Maybe before the end of the year is not too much of a stretch to say that the next season no. will be out. Yeah, I, I have to, in between all this stuff, also write a thesis. So, yes, we, we should make it. But, yeah, there's there's that going on. Well, and we'll do our best. And, of course, you know, uh, if another three months passes before that sees light day, we might do another one of these. Yeah. But, um, but it was enjoyable. Uh, yeah. We have a shout out, by the way, for the the handful of messages we have received. Mm. Um, thank you. Yeah, very, very lovely. Very lovely. There was there was chuckling. There was groans of please no more dystopian novels. There was a lot of things, but you know, <laughs> no more dystopia. But yes, no. There's uh, it was very much appreciated, and there's some lovely um, suggestions, and we will be striving to read those books in our downtime. And maybe um, so talk can, about them yeah. here. Um, and, you know, yeah. if if you are missing us reading the real book, well, I think we dropped like 20 or more recommendations in this episode alone of yes. uh, possible things yes. to read. There's a lot out there. Um, there's a lot of books. And, yes, uh, so many. So many. And So if, many if books, yeah. so little time. <laughs> <laughs> Very accurate. I ha might have mentioned this. There's a couple of, um, just the side note, two more books that I would, or two more authors that might be interesting to explore. For those of you who enjoy Jane Austen, and some of you may, and some for those of you who enjoy Pride and Prejudice, um, you'll be happy to learn that there is a lot of books that use Pride and Prejudice as the foundation. They just do a different, a different version of it. Basically, like they'll do Pride and Prejudice and Dragons. I know, or Pride and Prejudice and Magic. But yes, there's a couple out there. I, I, I actually don't want to give you the exact people. Just if you start looking it up, you will see it. Is, uh, is this is, off the wave of the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies phenomenon? I don't know what came first. There is a Mary Bennett series by Joyce Harmon. I did actually enjoy that because Mary Bennett, you, you've read Pride and Prejudice. Uh, yes. Yes, um, Mary Bennett's the the you know the sister that's a bit more um, I want to say dour. I can remember almost nothing from that book, but I'll I'll, I'll just say yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. But yes, I do. It's 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 kind of it's a nice little twisted perspective on it. I enjoyed it. I okay. will say that. Yeah. Uh, so let me finish by doing the whole rigmarole. The music at the top of the podcast is called Targets from the Super Smash Brothers Melee soundtrack. And there is no way whatsoever that I'm recording this after the podcast took place in order to choose music for the start of the podcast. Uh, the music at the end of the podcast, as always, is I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa. You can find me over on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. 
And you can find me at Rumakmoo, that's R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O, also on Twitter. You can also find our podcast at SMBSLT Podcast. That's on Twitter, on Facebook, and if you add an at gmail.com, we will receive an email from you, most likely. If you can rate uh, our podcast or give reviews about our podcast we welcome you to do so say on apple or i'm not sure whatever else your platforms are that you are listening to this podcast on well well, we thank you for listening to us uh we should be out uh with a new season yeah by the end of the year as we said hopefully we'll see Uh, it is on cat's cradle as we said at the end of uh our last season but until then uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast we hope you enjoy your reading we hope you're staying safe uh, if you're up there in summer we hope you're staying cool Till next time we hope you're all enjoying your reading see you later folks Bye.